رادیو رومی everyone this is Fatima Keshavarz with another episode of Radio Rumi it is a beautiful Friday morning sunny and gorgeous and I'm delighted to be back here at this mic with my small computer and recording set my gray cat shadow and my notes to speak with you all about the delightful words of Rumi, whether written as poetry or said in his communication with his friends and disciples around him. As usual, I was wondering what is relevant, what is interesting, and what is useful to be the theme of this program as I speak with you, because really the poetry of Rumi with 27,000 verses in his Masnavi, 35,000 verses in his lyric poetry, and his discourses when he spoke with people sitting around him, it makes such a huge treasure house of wisdom and thought. And what we may take out of it depends to a large extent on what we bring to it. In other words, what questions do we ask really determines what we can take out of this. So Rumi himself actually has a beautiful metaphor for this situation and this occasion that I'm talking about. And he says, Garberizi bahra dar kuzei chand gonjat besmate yekruzei. If you pour an entire sea, into a jog, how much does it take? The share enough for one day. In other words, what we can take is also very, very important. Now, as I was thinking about this, one of my thoughts was that these days we are all discussing different aspects of the primaries in the upcoming elections. Politics is on everyone's mind. And so I thought it would be interesting to see what politics means to Rumi. How does he speak about it? And how does he live it? And the second might be even more important than the first, but they're both relevant. So I'm going to try and address both to the best of my ability in this short, roughly half an hour exchange that we have together. Now you might say, Rumi was a mystic and a poet, wasn't he? So what has got politics to do with him? Or rather, what does he have anything to do with politics? That's a very interesting question. And the answer is, even if he wanted to leave politics alone, politics would not leave him alone for the simple reason that he was a very influential and also beloved figure. These days we see that politicians make use of celebrities for 
visibility reasons for getting the attention of the general public. In some form or fashion, Rumi was a celebrity in his own time. And because his words were influential and people listened to him, it became important to politicians to keep in touch and to try and be present and possibly in some cases try and influence who he is and what he does and what he says. So for all these reasons, it is important to know how he handled that. There are different ways in which we can look at the issue. The issue of power, the issue of control over others, and the issue of becoming a decision maker. One way that he approaches it is giving us fascinating stories about people of power. Probably one of the most interesting ones is the figure of Ibrahim Adham, a Sufi much earlier than Rumi, who is in a way the Buddha of the Muslim world. He was a prince. He gave up his princely powers and authorities. He left the palace and he became almost a wandering dervish. That's at least what the sources tell us. So here's a story. One day, Ibrahim Adham was sitting on the seashore somewhere and he was mending his own tattered cloak. Now we're not told where it was and we're not told why he was there, because facticity is not really the most important aspect of the story. What the story can teach us is important. So as Ibrahim, this prince who had now turned into almost a beggar or somebody with very little possession, was mending his own cloak, one of his slaves or ex-slaves passed by and recognized him. So he came and sat next to Ibrahim and felt sorry for him and thought, look at this man. He once was a powerful prince. Now he cannot afford a new cloak. He has to mend his old one. And according to the Rumi story, which he probably borrowed from some other thinker or writer, Ibrahim felt that understood that the sorrow, this pity was going through the mind of this friend. Sheikh Waqif Gashd as Andi Shash, Sheikh Chun Shi Rasto Dilhao Bishash. The Sheikh sensed, understood what was going through this man's mind. And this is a very common theme. People with great mirror-like hearts can understand what goes on in other people's minds, according to the literature of the time. Chun raja v'chof dar delha ravan nis machvi jahan. So the poem says, the sheikh understood what this man thought because the sheikh is like a lion and the heart of other people is like the thicket in which lions walk about and know what is where, and understand it, and nothing is hidden on them, and nothing is hidden from them. Now first see that he compares 
this very poor man to a lie. So he's already giving us a sense that he's going to talk about a different kind of power. What did Ibrahim do? Sheikh Susan now you're going to say, this is of course a fable and it cannot happen. So let me remind you again, the factual nature of the anecdote is not important for these kinds of stories. So what happened? Ibrahim threw his needle into the sea and then with a loud voice asked for it. What happened? Thousands of fish brought their heads out of the water, each offering him a golden needle. Rubadu kartopegoftash ke amir mulke delbe yachanan mulke hagir. In nishan irza herasto hich nist. Tabe bauten der rabi bini to beast. So the sheikh said to that man, Oh, my prince, and he addressed the ex-slave as a prince, which is very interesting, and said, Now, which one is better, my dominion over worldly things or my dominion over the hearts? But then Rumi knows that we're going to say, Come on, this didn't happen. So he anticipates that and says, In nishan zaherast hich nist, this is really a story about appearances. Don't take it too seriously. Think about the inner strength and power that this person has gained as a result of giving up the worldly power that he once had. He also talks about how ephemeral power is, how it belongs to you one day, and it belongs to another person another day. And why does he say that? Because it's so hard to see it. Because when we have power and control over something, it feels as if it's going to be ours forever. And he wants us to see that that is actually not the case. So he compares it to a dream. And he tells his followers, using the example of a man whose job was turning on and keeping the fire going in the public bath. Of course, all this technology that we have now didn't exist, so somebody had to be there literally sitting next to the furnace that would be kept going by putting pieces of wood and tree branches, etc., into it. And it was considered to be one of the most lowly jobs ever. So Rumi tells us one of these Golchan tops, people who kept baths going, Ruzi dar khab raft. Be khab deed ke sultan shode ast va shod maghrur. Bedid khod ra bar takht malik az chap o rast hazar saf za amir o hajib o dastur miyan golgole dar o gir o burda burd miyan an lamanul mulk Zato Shurushar. Now something happens in the middle of the story, but I should tell you what he was saying first. So one day, this 
Gulchan Tob fell asleep and dreamt that he was a king, and people were lining up around his throne, emirs, vizirs, all the important people. And in the middle of all of that, as he felt in complete control, that all met as Dere Gulchan Bechesm Hamami. Zadash Bepalke Barje Namurdei Dargur. Right in the middle of all that, the owner of the bathhouse walked in and saw him sleeping. Of course, in his job, he couldn't afford to fall asleep because the bath will go cold. So he kicked him in the leg and said, Get up, man. It looks like you have died. Get up. Do your job. So he woke up and the power was gone. So obviously this is a metaphor for all of us who might, wielding some power, see ourselves as invincible, in full control. But Rumi knows that power is much more real than dreaming, that people fall for it. And not only them, the people around them fall for it. And he warns us. And he says, Being close to the kings is not dangerous just because they might someday get angry and order you killed, which could have happened in those days. And he says, well, that's not the big deal because that you will die one day. So death is one danger, but it's not really the most important one. اما از این رو خطر است که ایشان چون درآیند و نفسهایشان قوت گرفته و اجدها گشته این کس که با ایشان صحبت کرد لابد باشد که بر وفق ایشان سخن گوید The danger is that as they arrive they come into your space like you're sitting there they come in their egos have grown powerful in full control of their lives and of the lives of many people around them. Literally, he says, Their egos have turned into dragons. They can set fire. You know, the legend of how dragons could breathe fire into the environment around them and burn them down. So are these kings. And what's the harm? In Kas که با ایشان صحبت کرد لابد باشد که بر وفق ایشان سخن گوید This person who has become a friend who's with them finds himself or herself forced to say what they like to hear و رای های بد ایشان را از روی دل نگاه داشتی قبول کند و نتواند this is so true for all times and all kinds of proximity to power, whether it is in a small office or in a much larger center of power. What does he say when these people come in, those whose egos have turned into dragons? The danger is that this friend is forced to accept what they say and speak in favor of what they think because he or she cannot afford to hurt them. And then he turns to his listeners, addressing them directly. 
چندان که آن سو می روی. In the direction of power or proximity to power. این سو که معشوق است دل از تو می گرداند. The more you go towards the center of power and get close to these people, the more your beloved, your معشوق, your inner strength for embracing love and all good things turns its face away and walks away from you. In other words, if you want to do that, if you want to be in the center of power, just be warned, you're paying a price for it. Now he also, that's Rumi, also speaks to people who in his time are known as alims, the ones who study philosophy, ethics, religious principles, and become authorities in their communities. And he wants them to realize that they're not immune to the corruption of power, that they may as well make similar mistakes. He says, The worst of the knowledgeable people are those who ask for help from emirs, from the owners of power in their times. And what this person does is good or bad or whatever is his principles are based on the wishes of these emirs. And then he goes even one step further and says, there are those who might even study from the beginning with that thought that when I become somebody in this field and people respect me, then Amirs are going to give me wealth and support and respect. When you think about it, he really is talking about the independence of the academic world, the very question that many of us need to be aware of all the time, that as we learn, as we teach, as we gain prestige and respect as knower of some things, we have to be very careful with what we do, mixing that up with authority because it might make us make mistakes and misuse what we know. And then he also tries to give a little bit of self-respect and confidence to these scholars who are afraid of emirs or are studying in order to get the attention of the emir. He says, در كل احوال امیر از اون میستاند یعنی از عالم و مدد میگیرد in all cases. Now, this is a very interesting general announcement, principle, really. In all circumstances, it is Amir who is indebted to the scholar because he can take knowledge and learn from this individual. And the learned person is independent, does not need the Amir because he or she has his or her own source of power. But that's a lot of self-confidence to give and to share with others. But it's also a statement that the Amir of his time, Amir Parvane, 
is hearing. Very often he's sitting among the audience because he wants to be viewed as one of Rumi's associates or somebody Rumi respects or allows to come in. Knowing that, Rumi speaks to the scholars, but is also addressing the Amir. It is you who need us. Understand that and do not think of trying to abuse your power. And then he gives another piece of advice to the scholar. He says that Alem همچو آفتاب نور بخش است کار او عطا و بخشش است علا سبیل العموم This scholar is like the sun It gives light Or rather he or she gives light Giving is the main responsibility of the scholar And then he finishes it with علا سبیل العموم On the way of everyone In other words Shedding light on the way on which everyone walks. If you are a scholar, this is your responsibility, he says. If you know, your knowledge belongs to everyone. That also says something about how generous he is with writing his poetry and speaking to people because he sees it as public property, if we wanted to use kind of a modern language. Now, talking about Amir attending his gatherings. There is a quote in his discourses where Rumi says, Amir Parvane goft, Bahaaddin Ozraman mikhast, ke Molana jahat in hokim karda ast ke Amir be ziyarat man nayayad ke mara halat haast. Dar halati sukhani guim va dar halati naguim. So he quotes Amir as saying, Bahaaddin, one of Rumi's sons, has told me that Rumi has ordered, literally, that Amir doesn't come to see me because I say different things at different times and these depend on what I'm thinking about or what halat or state of mind I am in at that moment and may not be ready to perform for you, in other words. Do not expect that from me. And then this is very interesting because Amir says, از این که مرا خیلی منتظر گذاشتی فهمیدم because you kept me waiting on your door for a long time I understood how people feel when they come to see me and I keep them waiting outside in other words with his actions too Rumi discouraged the Amir from thinking that this is a place I can go to anytime I want and he needs to be careful with what he says about me. So the rules are set pretty clearly by Rumi. Also, there is another very interesting episode, which I am sure I have quoted earlier on, and that is when Amir Parvane asks for a prayer from Rumi. He says, I have a wish. Can Hazrat Khudavant Gar, meaning Rumi, say a prayer so that my wish comes true? And Rumi starts praying. I pray that God gives the Amir his wish and also gives him some other bounties that he hasn't even wished for because he doesn't know what they are. And in fact, if he gets those bounties from God, which he obviously means them to be inner qualities. So if Amir does get those gifts from God, he might even be ashamed of the small wishes he had at the beginning. 
In other words, even when he prays for what the Amir has requested, because after all, he does that for other people too, and he doesn't want to, or maybe he doesn't feel able to, I'm not sure really. Maybe the feeling is that, you know, I should not just outright say, no, I won't pray for you. But he gives him a prayer that teaches him how to think, how to wish, and what to ask for. At other times, he's harsher even. And that's very interesting because Amir Parwane, the governor of the city of Konya at the time, is a truly powerful person. Although in the end, actually, years later, he gets killed himself by the Mongols, for whom he worked at some point. But Rumi actually tells him, quite frankly, Khodavandgar, that's Rumi, quoted here, Khodavandgar farmud, ke man be Amir parwane, baraye an goftam ke, tu avval sar musalman shudi, ke man khodra fada konam. Khodavandgar farmud, ke man in be Amir parwane goftam. And that in refers to a story he told the Amir about somebody who was hiding his wealth. So here's Rumi explaining to his followers, I told the story of the man who was hiding his wealth to Amir Parvane because I wanted to tell him, to avval sar musalman shodi ke man khod ra fada konam va aql o tadbir o ra'y khod ra baraye baqay islam va kasrat ahl islam fada konam. Even though you worked for the Mongols, you turned into a Muslim, you converted to Islam, in other words, and you said, I want to help the people who live in this town, the Muslims around me, make their lives prosperous and take care of them. And then he says, But you are united now with the Mongols. And you are helping these Central Asian nomads who were conquering the various parts of the Muslim world. You are supporting them, helping them to destroy Damascus and Egypt and other places. Now, it may be that Rumi did not say these words directly to Amir Parvane and told it to him through that story. But still, that is quite remarkable. What really Rumi tells us all about power through his stories is not just don't be too close to power or don't let it corrupt you, understand how it works. All of those things, as you saw some examples, are parts of his discourses. But he has another very important point, and that is understand the size of your power. Know what you can and cannot do. And of course, with this, he means also your inner strengths, your inner powers, as well as your worldly abilities to do things, good or bad, for other people. So he tells us a story about a mouse and a camel is actually a fascinating story. A mouse got hold of the leash of a camel. Again, don't worry about the facticity. It's a fable. A mouse got hold of the leash of a camel, 
and started acting as if he, the mouse, was the authority and was giving orders to the camel about where to go and where not to go. The camel understood this, sensed it, and was laughing inside. You know, this little guy thinks he's in control of me, but what am I going to do? Of course, he could just run away or even kick the mouse or even kill the mouse, but he decided to give a lesson to this mouse, and that's another side wisdom in the story. What did the camel do? He went towards a very strong body of water, vast body of water, and stood there and acted as if he wanted to cross the river. Mush on jaw east all the hosh gashed. Goft oshtor ei rafiq kuh dasht. In tabaqof chist. Heyrani chera. Pabeh mardane an dar ju dara. So the camel acted as if he was going to cross the river and the mouse, of course, was terrified. How could it cross the river? So he stood there. It froze in its place. The camel said, Oh, my beloved friend of mountains and meadows, that is the one who is walking with me, why did you stop? Why are you perplexed? Come on, step into the river. Come with me. گفت این آب شگرف است و عمیق من همی ترسم زغرقاو بی رفیق The mouse said Oh my God, this water is deep It's very strong I'm afraid of drowning in this water The camel said گفت آزانوست آب کورموش از چه حیران گشتی و رفتی زهوش The camel said Oh, the water is only up to the knee Oh, little mouse, who doesn't see well enough? Why did you get so perplexed? Why did you lose your consciousness and control? Goft mure tosto, mara ajdhaost, ke zezanu ta bezanu farghaost. The mouse said, I know, it looks like an ant to you, but to me, it looks like a dragon. Knees are very different from one another. Your knee and my knee are not the same. So the mouse finally saw the limits of its own power. And had he seen this before, he would have not even come to the edge of the river to be given that lesson. Let me end this episode with three lines that are addressed to the general readership of his poetry. And that is... Ephemeral as power is, don't give it up. Do not just sit and rely on hope, even though hope is very important. Omide to hardami beguyat dastat giram befazlechot zud. The hope you have in others, in God even, says that I'm going to come to your help. I'm going to hold your hand. And lead you forward. You might want to keep that hope in your life, but do not say that trying, using my own power, is a pointless thing because whatever is going to be, will be. Ma'zul makon to qudratam ra man bastiniam chotar 
that food. And this is God talking about his power, saying, don't act as if I've written these in stone. I am not tied. I am not tied in like the strands tied in a woven tapestry. I am free. In other words, your potentials are free too. You can hope for new things. You can do new things. Only if you recognize those possibilities, but also if you do put them in good use as opposed to taking advantage of them. I hope that these ruminations on power and what it means to us today as opposed to Rumi's time is useful to you as we usually find that many of these concepts are translatable into modernity and the complexity of the life questions that we are facing. With that, I end this episode and look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Goodbye.